Well, I don't know if you guys are aware of this or not, but there are actually people out there who do not practice self-control and self-discipline. I know you're saying to yourself, where? Where are these people? I don't know any of these people. I know none of us here are like that, and nobody watching online is like that. But there are people out there who really don't exercise self-control and self-discipline, which has been our topic for a couple weeks and which will be our topic again today. So I feel it's our duty to learn about this, to help all those slugs out there who just can't seem to operate and live in self-control and self-discipline. So our job is to learn and go help people. And uh, now for more, a little more honesty, um, all of us struggle with self-control or self-discipline in some area. But I also want you to know this. You, you exercise self-discipline and self-control in a lot of areas in your life. But you don't notice that because they're not a problem. Because you're in a habit of doing the right thing because you are self-disciplined and self-controlled. It is the areas where you're weak in that are so glaring to you. So it's those areas that you go, oh, I need help. You know, I'm so awful or I'm so this or so that. But you know what? Self-control, as believers, as Christians, we look at that and think less than one. We have self-control deposited in us by the Holy Spirit. And 2 Peter chapter 1 tells us that that virtue from the Holy Spirit of self-control, we're to grow in it and we're to increase in it. And if we increase in those virtues, it says we will be effective and we will be productive. And so we want to be effective and productive with our lives, don't we? And so that's one of the virtues out of the seven was, was self-control and self-discipline. So we want to grow in that. Another thing, this is very, very important. This is very important on any topic. I really want you to, to grasp this. If, if you're going to nod off today, then don't make this your moment. It's odd because sometimes I get calls at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'll answer the phone, and they'll say, hey, pastor. I'll say, hey, what you need? And say, I'm having a real hard time falling asleep. Would you preach to me for just a moment? And uh, so if, that, if, if, you are, if you tend to nod off, this is not your moment. This is You want to hang in there with this. Anytime a teaching comes from the Scripture, it may convict you. It may, it may correct you. Do you know the Bible even says it may rebuke you? It also can instruct and encourage and do all kinds of things. So that's, that's the power of the Word of God. But... But Jesus taught us something very important. He taught us that, that when we get bound and weighted down by some teaching, then that's not a good thing, that his word wants to liberate us. He, he told us that in, uh, I think it was Matthew 23, verse 4. He said, uh, watch out for the Pharisees. The whole chapter is about the Pharisees. By the way, not all Pharisees were bad, not all, you know, were self-righteous and all that, but a lot of them were, so much so that Jesus warned against them with some regularity. He said, be careful, because they will tie heavy burdens upon you. They will load your shoulders and load your backs with burdens. What's a burden? It's a weight, it's a care. And they won't lift a finger to help you bear it, they'll just put it on you. Later in the passage, it says, these Pharisees will cross land and sea to make a single convert. But when they're done with you, you will be twice the child of hell that they are. That's a pretty strong warning. So if what I'm going to teach about today, you say, oh my goodness, I'm no good and I'm awful. And I'm full of shame and I know I'm going to work harder and I'm going to come up with this to-do list and I'm going to do this. And, and you just feel burdened down, something's wrong. 
because Jesus later teaches, or actually earlier in Matthew, in like chapter 11, he says this. He said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, burdened, weighted down. Come unto me. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. A yoke was like this thing they put around a horse or an oxen or or something to pull a load. He said, my yoke's easy. And my burden, my load, is light. So anytime you get done with the teaching that we're growing in the word of God and we feel burdened and, and beat up and condemned, either the person teaching has taught it wrong or you've listened wrong. And so when we get the end of this, I want us to be encouraged. I don't want us to have weights upon us that I want you to leave and say, thanks a lot, Tracy. You just put more weight and burden upon me. You're not willing to lift a finger to bear. No, we want to grow in these things and not be burdened by this, but be liberated by this, this teaching from the Lord. So, when it comes to self-discipline, um, you often think of athletics, just like Paul did when he taught about it. There's a guy who's, who's been at it for about 20 years now in professional sports, and we're so sports crazy in the world, not just here, that, that we, you ever know there's somebody you say, I hate them as an athlete. You don't know them. You don't know anything about them. But, but we're so dedicated to our teams that we, we really love this person or, or we really loathe this person. Or maybe you're one of those people, you don't even care about sports. And the name I'm getting ready to say, you're going to say, I don't even know who that is. Okay, well, the name I'm going to say is LeBron James. Yeah, somebody said, who? LeBron James has been at about 20 years. He's one of the oldest people in the NBA. And he might be the oldest. But a lot of times when there's old-timers in the NBA, they're just on the team to equip the younger ones. They're not, they're not playing at some optimum level. He is still, 20 years later. You say, how did that happen? Well, I'm going to let you in on something that's not a secret. It's common knowledge, if you like to read. LeBron James has been for years spending $1.5 million a year staying fit. $1.5 million. I think about that. That's my yearly wage. You know, $1.5 million just to stay fit. He, you say, how do you even do that? Well, he has private chefs, uh, trainers, doctors, masseuses. He goes to, uh, what's that thing called? Uh, uh, a cryo chamber, I think it is, where you, you get in this chamber, and they cool you down to a, a balmy negative 200 plus degrees. I was telling Darlene, I said, hey, no way. I said, yeah, there is. It's actually like 235 degrees they cool your body down to. Not for a real long time, but they do that. And there's all these health benefits of that, how he eats, what he does. Plus, he does rigorous, crazy workouts nonstop. You know, he's been doing that for years. But he's still playing as a top-tier player in the NBA for his 20th year. Now, that's amazing. Now, why does he do that? Does he do it because he likes it? I am going to suspicion that he does not like it. I probably don't like spending the $1.5 million. He probably doesn't like being frozen. He probably doesn't like all the workouts. I would think if I could come to him, and it would really be true, and I could say, hey, 
I'll give you this pill. You take this pill one time, it will have no negative effects, but you'll be as physically fit as you are right now or maybe better, and you won't have to do any of that stuff. You won't have to watch your diet. You won't have to work out. You won't have to do anything. I bet he would say, give me that pill. So that, that's what he would want to do. So I don't think he likes it, but why does he do it then? Because it's biblical. Now you may say, I didn't even know he loved the Lord, and he dug into the scripture. I don't really know what his spiritual condition is. I'm saying the way he's behaving is a biblical truth that we actually read last week. So when we look at the scripture, it reveals something to us, and we'll look at this. Let's go ahead and throw up that, that scripture. It says, every athlete exercises self-control in what? All things. Every athlete exercises self-control. So he's just doing what the Bible says athletes do. Now, I'm going to read this in a fuller version. Um, I'm going to help the version a little, but I'm not going to take away from the, the integrity of the text. Here's how we could read this. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They exercise self-control in all things to receive a perishable wreath. That's what they used to win back in the early Olympian games. If you were the champion, they'd put some, you know, some shrubbery on your head, and it was, hey, I'm the winner. But it's perishable. Then it could read like this. Yet we exercise self-control in all things. Every time I think of that, I think, do we? But we exercise self-control in all things to receive an imperishable crown or an eternal reward. Now I want to make this point. This is not about earning heaven. This is about rewards that God will give us. And so it's not about earning heaven. That's totally been done by Jesus and we just receive that. So then Paul says, since this is true, since we have the potential to gain an eternal crown, uh, an eternal imperishable reward, since that's true, I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I do not box like one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Again, I want to stress, this isn't Paul saying, boy, if I don't do this, I won't get to go to heaven. No, he's saying this, I'm going to practice what I preach because I'm not going to get to heaven and watch you get all these rewards that I didn't get because I didn't practice what I preach. I'm going to practice what I preach, do this, so I qualify too for these rewards. So it's an amazing thing. So, so LeBron James actually does all these things because he's got his heart set on a reward. Now, generally in the world, most people's reward is fame and fortune. So the longer he can stay fit and healthy and operate at an optimum level, the more his fame grows, the more his fortune grows, the more opportunities for more championships and more awards and more records and more wins and more self-worth and all the things that might happen because of that. Now we could say, well, that's an awful, horrible, vain thing. We should not be worried about those rewards. That's awful. But I'm going to let you on another little secret. God is an incredible rewarder. An incredible rewarder. He loves to reward. In fact, the more you learn about God, not what people tell you about God, but the more you actually learn about God, here's the truth about God. 
He is, loves to award, reward people. He loves to bless people. He hates to send correction and judgment. Now, he's a good father, so he will send correction and judgment, but he prefers to send blessing and reward. And so you start looking all throughout Scripture, and it goes on and on. If you pray in secret, I'll reward you openly, God says. You give in secret, I'll reward you openly. Given it shall be given unto you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men throw and heap into your lap. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good and fat of the land. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on. Now, of all people, I think God would be the one person who could get away with saying this. Here's what I want you to do. And we say, why? And he should have the right to say, because I told you so. But he never does that. He always says, here's why. And he's even created a system in the kingdom of God that's designed to reward obedience. Do you know the Bible says that if you give a cup of water in the name of a prophet, you'll receive a prophet's reward? Wow, God is a big rewarder. He loves to reward. He rewards those who diligently seek him. Well, that's not my message today, but I can keep going on and on and on. But it is part of the message is reward. That we get our eyes set and we focus on a reward, and God loves to reward. So if we say something like, well, I don't think we should be concerned about a reward, well, God's the one that came up with the idea. He's the one that came up with the idea. And if you'll notice, when Paul teaches that passage we just read, he never says, that's an awful way to do life. He never says that. In fact, he does something different than that. Paul does not condemn the athlete for doing all this self-discipline to get a perishable wreath. He actually, if you pay attention to what we read, he actually encourages us to mimic and copy the athlete. He says, now, if they'll do that for a perishable crown, then we should do it for an imperishable crown. And so he doesn't mock that concept. He actually encourages us to follow that concept and discipline ourselves because we have a reward. There's a reward out there. So today we're going to talk about self-discipline's pain and pleasure. I don't know who those people are but on the screen, but uh, pain and pleasure. You know which one's got the pain, right? And which one has the pleasure? Pain and pleasure. Or we could call it suffering and reward. Now, most of us are not into pain and suffering. I'm not. I don't like it. You probably don't like it either. But there's some interesting things about pain and suffering. But I want to say this about pain and suffering. Pain and suffering in the Bible, as you begin to study it, is almost always, you can read the New Testament, check it out yourself. One of the beautiful things is anytime I'm teaching something, you say, well, I don't know if I believe that or not. That's okay. What should you do? Dig into the Bible. Study it. I think I'm just going to go ask Grandpa. Well, we love our grandpas. Grandpa may or may not know this, but the Bible knows it, so go study the Bible. Paul said the Bereans were more noble than all the rest because they sought the Scripture daily to see if the things Paul was teaching was true. And so they would check it out. And Paul said they were noble for that. Not how dare you. They were noble to check it out. So pain has, in the New Testament, has a concept of suffering and pain because of the, the love for Jesus, because of our testimony, because of, of uh, our relationship with God. In fact, at one point, Paul teaches this in the New Testament. He said, don't, if you're going to suffer, don't suffer as an evildoer. 
Don't suffer as a thief. Don't suffer as a busybody. But there is suffering for righteousness' sake. Now, we do live in a broken world, so all of us have suffered from brokenness just in the world. We, I mean, do you remember, I mean, you've got to be older to know this, but there's a company called Enron, and you, there are people's um, retirement funds were growing like crazy, and many people just took all their eggs and put it in that basket, and then Enron went under, and their, their retirement went under, and they lost everything. That wasn't because they weren't suffering for Jesus because of that. That's the brokenness of this world. You know, we, we've been sick before, had an accident, and we've all lost loved ones, and there's just the pain to all that in this broken world. But Jesus' plan, when he talks about suffering, is not this. You know what? I think I want to teach Tracy something today. So when he leaves the church, I'm going to have him fall down and break both of his legs. And that'll be a wonderful way to teach him something. No, that's not the way that God operates. But in the broken world, you know, you may have fallen down and broken a leg. You may have broken a bone. I get that. This ain't heaven yet. But God uses suffering and pain for the cause of Christ to teach us. So here's some verses about this. 1 Peter 4, 1. He that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Well, I touch on this with some regularity. But just the bottom line to this is your flesh and my flesh wants to do what it wants. I say it like this all the time. It wants to do what it wants, how it wants, when it wants, where it wants, with whom it wants. And it doesn't want anybody to tell it not to do it. And so our flesh, even as Christians, sometimes we've trained our flesh to get its way all the time. But oftentimes our flesh leads us towards sin. And as you begin to study the Bible, you learn that sin produces death. And so you don't even have to be a real deep thinker to say, hmm, do I want death in my life? And I mean not that you'll fall over dead, but it'll produce death in some area of your life. Or do I want to go after God? Because when I go after God, he produces life and peace. So I say, well, I think I would like life and peace versus death. So when we get that opportunity to sin, we say, I've learned today that I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say no. I promise you this. If you have always said yes to that area of sin in your flesh, when you tell it no, it will rebel. It will cry. It will throw a temper tantrum. It will be awful. And you will suffer. You will feel the ache of saying no to that sin that you have enjoyed. But once you do that, we're going to learn this, that we suffer for a little while, not forever. We suffer for a little while, and we develop in that area. Then all of a sudden, we have ceased from sin. So death can't operate in that area anymore because sin's not there. In Hebrews 12, 7 through 11, it says we endure hardship as discipline, and it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. Now, I really know this from the world's point of view. When you say, wow, you can get righteousness and peace, the world says, who cares about that? I want fame and fortune. But I can tell you, you've all experienced it, where you've had a lack of peace for a season, and you've figured this out. There's nothing more valuable than peace. There's nothing more valuable than peace. Righteousness and peace are beautiful commodities for our lives. In 1 Peter 5.10, it says, After we have suffered for a little while, and by the way, you need to read this. I'm just bullet-pointing things. After you've suffered for a little while, you will be restored and made strong. And so you got this suffering that ends up in reward. You've got this pain that ends up in pleasure eventually. But there is a season of suffering that none of us like to talk about, none of us like to experience. But if we will, if we'll suffer for a little while, then we'll have a reward. Now, probably the most beautiful example is Hebrews 11, 25 and 26. It says, Moses 
choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Sin's pleasurable, we've talked about. I think the King James says it's pleasurable for a season. The ESV here, the English Standard Version, says it has a fleeting pleasure to it. It lasts for a little bit, but it's not long term. So Moses said, I'm going to choose to be mistreated or suffer with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He, Moses, considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Now think about that, because Egypt was probably the most opulent, prosperous people group on planet Earth. And he, Moses was literally raised in what we call the lap of luxury. He had the best of everything, best education, the best clothes, the best entertainment, the best food, the best everything. And he said, I'm willing to leave that behind because I think God is more valuable than all the wealth of Egypt. And look at what it says here. It says, for he was looking to the what? The reward. He was looking to the reward. He has eyes set on the reward. So self-discipline produces some pain at first and then pleasure, some some suffering, and then reward. It's the same pattern Jesus followed. The Bible says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross and despised the shame. He didn't enjoy the cross. He endured it and despised it because there was joy set before him. So here's the pattern we go through. And I've done this more times than I care to imagine. You'll relate to this, but we want to grow and get past just keep going through this pattern. You get this idea of something you want to do, something you want to be, something you want to become, something you want to possess, something you want to achieve. And so you get an idea about that, and you start imagining it. And as you begin to imagine it, it gets exciting. You get some inspiration. You can, you can dream about the end result of, man, when I'm really, and it could be anything. It could be becoming the person of prayer you've always wanted to be. It could be finishing your degree. It could be getting a promotion at work. It could be reading through the Bible and understanding the scriptures better. It could be more boldness in your in your witness, it could, be, it could be being healthy, eating right, eating healthier, getting fit. It could, I mean, the list could be anything. So you start thinking about this. Maybe it's the, the home you've always dreamed of. You start thinking about, and it brings some inspiration, and it brings some motivation. And the next thing you know, you may even get a little shot of adrenaline, and you say, whoo, I've got it now. Down in the core of my being, I've got this goal. I have a resolve in me. I'm going to make this happen. This is going to work until until we experience the unpleasantness of self-denial. We all understand the eating thing in America. So we say, I'm going to eat healthy. And, and that's wonderful. I'm telling you what, I have the greatest goals about my eating after I've just finished a big meal. It's, seriously, it's after that, it's like, man, tomorrow I'm going to, and you, you got all these dreams and visions. This, I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to set my eye on a reward. I'm going to be healthy. And that's really awesome until we have to say no to a piece of pizza. And then it's like, oh, the unpleasantness of saying no to a lesser pleasure causes my dream and goal just to evaporate, and it's gone. Now, there's probably nothing wrong with a piece of pizza, but I have a family member, and I'll, they'll remain anonymous to protect the guilty. But they were, you know, 
putting on some weight. And another family member, being loving and kind, said, man, you're putting on the weight. And uh, they said, man, I don't know why I don't eat that much. And said, this person knew him very well. He said, you do too. You eat a large pizza every single day. And this person said, yeah, but it's a thin crust. And uh, I was actually present for this conversation. I just started laughing. And I get it, a thin crust is, you know, than a deep dish. I get that. But still, I'm thinking, this is a large pizza. And so when we say no to that, our flesh whines. And then we say, well, I just, I think I'll go ahead and eat the pizza. The goal no longer seems worth it. See, the imagination of the reward was more exciting than the reward itself. And the reward wasn't real enough to fuel our discipline. So we didn't really believe it. It was a fantasy. It was, well, I, I said this at the first year. Most of us don't set resolves and goals. And, and when I preach, I'm preaching to me too. What we have, we set wishful thinkings. I got a lot of wishful thinkings for the new year. But we need more goals and more resolve. But the key to self-discipline. See, see faith, faith for the pleasure of a genuine reward that it will be worth more than the denial of a lesser pleasure is so, so important. It's so important that faith begins to build in our hearts for a goal, a dream, a reward that, that really energizes us by faith. Otherwise, it'll all disappear. So I just put this up for us to see. Really what happened to us in that illustration I gave was not a lack of willpower. What happened was it was a lack of reward power. See, Paul said this. He listed this pedigree that was amazing. And he said, I gave all that up for the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. And he said, and I want to tell you something. What I gave up is garbage compared to knowing Jesus. What happened? That reward of knowing Christ was so real, so powerful... It allowed him to give up everything and not bemoan it, not complain about it, not gripe. Oh, man, I've had to give up so much to follow Jesus. He didn't say, he said, I gave up garbage compared to following Jesus. So when we give up something, if it's a big reward, then we don't care that we gave it up. For instance, I, I don't know, I, I'm always curious about these things, so we'll take a little poll today. Most of us here probably weren't born with the proverbial silver spoon in our mouth. And so, I don't know about you, but I have driven a lot of what I call beaters in my life. I don't know if that term, piece of junk, basically, okay? Has anybody else experienced that? Would you raise your hand high if you say, hey, you know, some of the cars I drove, yeah. Okay, well, I drove some of those. Now, some of the cars I drove didn't start off as beaters, but we kept them so long they turned into them, okay? I remember uh, we had a, a nice Mazda. It was a beautiful car. We kept it so long, it kept falling apart, and so... And it's really weird. We put our, our, our worst drivers in it. You know, we give that car to the kid. And I remember saying, okay, nothing works in this car. So what you got to do is in the wintertime, you got to scrape off the inside of the windows. Or there is another option. I learned this from experience. You can get as cold on the inside as it is on the outside, and then the windows will clear. So, and by the way, it wants to die all the time, so you got to keep one foot on the gas pedal and one on the brake when you're going to stop or it's going to die. Those are just a few of the problems it had. And so we drive that. Now, if I brought in that car, and it was out there in the parking lot today, and I said, man, I want $5,000 for this car, and you came out and looked at it, you would go, what's he trying? I mean, 
that car on its best day isn't worth 500 bucks, and he wants 5,000, all of a sudden, you would not be able to find $5,000. Sorry, pastor, can't, I don't even know where I get $5,000. But Darlene likes cars. We were driving down 3rd Street in Columbus, Indiana, near the Crump Theater one day, and she looked over when this little convertible passed us, and she said, oh, that car's beautiful. I would love that to be my next car. I said, I bet you would. <laughs> she said, what is it? I said, it's a Bentley. And they run about $300,000. And so she went, oh, okay. It's still her favorite car, though. <laughs> exactly. Now, if I was out in the driveway and I had super deep pockets, you knew I was super rich, and I said, eh, I just don't like that car. I'll take $5,000 for it. I'd have takers all over the room for that because you get the, what you're giving up for what you're getting is worth it. See, that's what has to happen. Our reward, our understanding of what we're getting has to grow up to Bentley size so that the money we're giving or the energy or effort is very minuscule. Just as Paul said, what I gave up to know Jesus was garbage compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. What Moses said, I consider Christ and God and the reward ahead that the riches of, of Egypt are nothing compared to that. So it's not a self-discipline problem, it's a reward problem. We have to grow and begin to understand reward. So now it's actually good news. And you say, well, how in the world is that good news? Because we now we see the problem, so we can work at fixing it. We have to begin to see, what does God want? God wants us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He wants us to have a heart like Paul that says, anything I would give up to know Christ would be garbage compared to knowing Jesus. The flesh's remedy for self-discipline and self-control is this. I'm going to get grittier. I'm going to exercise more human grit. I'm going to come up with 15 more to-dos for me. I'm going to, and next thing you know, we work ourselves up in a frenzy because I'm not going to have the shame of not being self-controlled. And what do we just do? We just bound heavy burdens upon us. Because the spirit's remedy is not more human grit. It is being wooed into a greater delight a greater delight in God, a greater delight for whatever it is you're, you're wanting to pursue in your, in your life, a greater delight in it. And so as God begins to woo us in, I, I think it's Ephesians chapter 117 that, that Paul says this. He said, I'm praying for the eyes of your understanding, that they might be enlightened, that you might really see this. You might see this in the depth of your heart, not just in your head, but in your heart. You might know this, the hope to which you are called his glorious inheritance for those of us who are saints, and his incomparably great power for those who believe. And so we're supposed to be saying, Lord, help us. Help us. We want to see clear. We want to know better. And you know what I found out about God? If you seek, you'll find. If you decide, I'm going to pursue a greater understanding of God, and what all he has to offer. By the way, it's not just spiritual things because everything becomes spiritual for a believer. You want to hear about rewards again? Jesus said this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you as well. Now that means nothing until you read it in the whole passage. Earlier he says the pagans are running after all kinds of things that the world has to offer. They're making that their number one priority. Don't you make that your number one priority. Make seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness your number one priority, and then you'll get that and 
everything the pagans are running after. So what's he saying? You'll have earthly rewards. Paul told Timothy, he said, godliness, discipline yourself to be godly, for it has great promise. It holds promise for this life and the life to come. So it's not just, well, I'll, I'll have nothing but one day. You know, if we had nothing, and there are people around the world because of the environment they're in, the culture they're in, the, the, the hostility towards Christianity, they really have nothing. And I'm hoping they're saying, like Paul, I consider everything I've lost garbage compared to knowing Jesus. And so we always want to have that heart, but God blesses us here on earth as well. So the more we seek God, the more we understand how this kingdom works, the more we will view self-discipline, something will shift in our mind. And this is what I'm working on for me and for you. Self-discipline for most people become a, becomes a drudgery, something that we might try to do to gain a little something. But once we get a hold of this big reward God has, all of a sudden self-discipline becomes a tool to move us down the pathway towards the reward that God has for us. So it doesn't become a drudgery. It doesn't become a, oh, just, I guess it's just a necessary evil we have to go through. No, it's, it's a tool to lead us in the right direction and to help us gain the things God has for us. When athletes lose their vision sometimes, the coaches and trainers will yell at them, get your eye on the prize, get your eye on the prize, get your eye on the prize. Well, Hebrews 12 tells, fix your eyes on Jesus, the beginner and finisher of our faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Uh, Paul and Moses and all the greats, they just, they had their eyes set ahead. Abraham left everything to go to another land. And he said, and he, he was one blessed guy. I mean, if you study out Abraham, he was one blessed guy, incredibly wealthy in all the things of the world as well. And he said this, that he was looking forward to a city whose builder and maker was God. Not some city he was going to build, but some city God had built because he knew it was going to be superior to anything this world had to offer. And so we build our faith in God's word. We build our faith in God's promises. We build our faith in God's rewards. And then our will will follow and our self-discipline will follow where our faith is. See what happened to the guy who ate the large pizza, although it was only a thin crust, was the fact that he, it wasn't that he lacked self-discipline because when his reward became the pizza, his being turned towards it. So his will actually went towards the pizza. I mean, no one can make you eat a pizza if you don't have the will to do it, but he had the will to do it. And so our will follows our faith. Our will follows the, the true reward that we're focused on. And so we need to make sure our rewards are right. We get this big yes in us, and it helps us say no to the littler pleasures. Now, we'll need practice of doing that because we've trained ourselves to do certain things, and now we're retraining ourselves. And this wasn't meant to be my message, but this is even a psychological thing. Uh, your mind, now, I'm not a psychologist or a doctor, so I'll probably butcher this, but your mind makes neuropathways in it by behaviors that you have. And so that's why if you've ever been a smoker, maybe you, you would eat a meal and then you would smoke. Well, pretty soon you developed a neural pathway that as soon as you get done eating, you have a desire to smoke a cigarette. 
I, I don't think that it's necessary that you do that, but it's a, it's a common pattern. And to stop that, you have to rewire that. But the good news is your brain can rewire. You can, you can do different things and rewire. So if somebody, you know, ticks you off at work and, and so your pattern is to rage at them and get violent and angry, the next time that happens, you'll still have that same neural pathway and you'll have to say, no, the wrath of man does not bring about the righteous work of God. And you have to retrain yourself. But one day, if you keep doing that, when somebody rails at you, you'll find yourself saying a prayer for them. How do we go from that to that? Because God's so smart, he knows if you'll use his word, you'll rewire your brain to head in a different direction. So here's our focus for the week to help us say no to lesser pleasures so we can enjoy the eternal pleasures and the greater pleasures of life here on earth as well. So here it is. Build our faith in God's promises. That's one very important thing. Build our faith in God's promises. How are you going to do that? You're going to have to start reading your Bible, finding out what the Bible says about stuff. Build your faith in his promises. Two, pray for our understanding to be enlightened. That needs to be on your prayer list. It just takes a second every day to say, hey, Lord, I want to see things like you see things. I want my eyes, my understanding to be enlightened. And you pray. The third thing is I want all of us this week, I'm talking to me too, let's start practicing saying no to lesser pleasures so we can say yes to the reward and move ourselves in the right way. I want to say this, and not to discourage you, I just want to say there's nothing in life that you usually, now if you do it perfectly this week, I'll cheer you on, I'll bring you up, we'll celebrate you, we'll give you a standing ovation. But most of us probably aren't going to do everything perfect this week. But the more you practice that, the more you do it, the more momentum you make forward just like second peter chapter one says we are increasing in these virtues we keep growing and so start practicing start saying no to lesser pleasures so you can say yes to the greater pleasures and the greater rewards of god so there's got to be something one or two or three maybe five or six things in your life you say i need to change this and head in a different direction here's some good information for you to help you do that right from the word of god so when we watch our lives and we line them up with the word, then this fruit that Galatians 5 talks about, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, one of the fruit, there's nine listed there, one of them is self-control. And that self-control gets watered and nurtured and it starts growing and it may not be a giant plant yet, but it'll head that way if we start practicing this and we'll find pleasure in God, pleasure in his rewards, pleasure in the goal that's set before us and not in the lesser pleasures of life. So let's pray.